welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is February 2nd, and today we're going to look at Genesis 33. And just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible, and I explain key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly, because my goal is is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. Well, let's get into our reading today from Genesis 33. Genesis 33 says this, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put put the servants with their children in front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing before himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw that the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near, and they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please, my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of of my servant, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and see her. And so Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And so Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money, the pieces of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elhoi Israel. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 33. Now, in his early years, Jacob was a man who relied on himself for success, which he had uh, seemingly advantages for that. And now when lesser men would have surrendered Jacob's inner strength and confidence, it enabled him to press on his uh, to his goals despite the odds, as we've seen in Genesis 29 through 31. And yet this same self-reliance could also be sinful. Jacob used deceit and in the providence of God to secure the patriarch blessing, as we see, as we've seen in Genesis 27. And it caused strife, as we saw in Genesis 27, 41. 
Jacob did want to confess the evil of his ways and somehow return his blessing to Esau prior to his wrestling with God, but he wanted to do so not out of pure motives, but from a fearful, self-reliant desire to save himself, as we see in Genesis 32. He was not motivated by a contrite heart that believed the Lord would keep his promises, even if he must first surrender the stolen blessing. And yet, in wrestling with the Lord, Isaac's younger son finally leans on the Lord alone for the blessing. His new name, Israel, and his divinely inflicted limp forever attest that his efforts are empty if he does not rest solely on the grace of God. And yet, what our chapter showed us yesterday is that Jacob is a new man after God touched him. We're seeing that even today. The Calvary patriarch, who fearfully remained behind when his gift was sent to Esau, as we see in Genesis 32, is now the picture of courage in Genesis 33. Now, after the encounter at Peniel, Jacob still places his favorites last in verse 2 of our chapter today. But the lack of fear shows us that this arrangement now comes with the desire to present his family in order of precedence, as was proper when meeting a prince in those days. This is further confirmed by a newfound humility, which is apparent in his reverence as he bows as he approaches the one whom he had swindled in verse 3 of our chapter today. As we're going to see, Esau too has been blessed, as we see in verse 9, and Jacob remains God's chosen man. Jacob further shows his reliance on the father and fidelity to his ways by acknowledging his sinful theft of the paternal blessing and making amends with the offended party in verses 10 through 11 of Genesis 33. Are you today confident enough in the Lord's goodness that you are willing to surrender all that you have, even the good things, if God would call you to do that? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, to be reconciled to our brothers before we worship. The, the offended party will not always give us the forgiveness that we've sought with humility and honestly, honesty, and yet we must do our best to restore harmony insofar it depends on us, as we see in Romans 12, 18, prior to coming before the Father's throne. Jacob, now known as uh, Israel, followed the imperative to seek reconciliation ages before Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount. Having shown his sorrow for wronging his brother in, Je in Genesis uh, 33, 1-3, Jacob is restored to Esau in our chapter today. And now Esau receives his younger brother enthusiastically, weeping and hugging and kissing him in verse 4. And, and in the years Jacob has been away from home, something remarkable has happened to his older brother. Once he saw only to kill Jacob in Genesis 27:41, now Esau loves him. John Calvin is certainly right to comment that Esau meets his brother with an unexpected benevolence and kindness and is the effect of the special favor of God. Now Esau meets his, his brother's children after this exchange, and Jacob acknowledges them as a gracious gift from the Lord in verses 5 through 7. Now, Jacob does not use the more common Hebrew word for blessing in our passage, although it is found elsewhere in the narrative and is the same word used for the patriarch blessing that Jacob stole. To verbalize it, it, it would have recalled Jacob's self-reliant thievery as if the Lord had not pardoned him. And therefore, Jacob instead uses the Hebrew word shanan, here translated given, because he's conscious that God has forgiven him and has brought about his success. Now, we've spoken of Israel's willingness to make amends for his deceit, although he could not surrender God's gift since it was ordained to be. Jacob likely thought he was returning what he stole as he urged Esau to take his presence, while trusting the Lord somehow to keep his promise to bless him another way. 
Well, in any case, he could share the prosperity of his blessings. And this happens when Esau reluctantly takes Jacob's gifts, proving their reconciliation in verses 9 through 11. And thus, contrition and forgiveness bring the scheming shepherd and his formerly bitter brother back into fellowship. Now, Jesus said that all people would know his disciples by their love for one another in John 13, 35. The most tangible expression of this love is our forgiveness of others. If pagans like Esau can forgive, our readiness to pardon others and be restored to the fellowship should be all the more evident among born-again Christians today. Unfortunately, we Christians are often guilty of not only of not forgiving other believers for even the most minor offenses. So I urge you today to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you. And, and though Jacob shows sorrow for the way in which he has treated Esau, in his willingness to make amends for thievery in verses 1 through 11 of Genesis 33, it, it is soon clear that Esau does not inherit the favored status. Now, true, Esau accepts the gifts of his younger brother, offers him, but his actions in our chapter demonstrate his willful rejection of the Lord's promises. Instead of residing in the land promised to his fathers, Esau is intent on going to Sir, a place in the land of Eden, According to verse 16, God has kept his favor on Jacob as evident in his refusal to go away from Canaan with his brother, according to verse 17. Now, Jacob's desire to return to the promised land indicates the Almighty's grace remains upon him, but his deeds reveal this grace has not yet perfected him. First, he claims his clan is too large to make the journey in one day and pledges to follow Esau until he comes to see his Lord and seer, according to verse 14. This phrase leaves the timing of Jacob's visit up in the air. Jacob also refuses his older brother's offer to leave some people with him for assistance, according to verse 15. Jacob could be turning away from Esau because he fears their relationship will change. Maybe his honorage really is too large to make the journey. Well, regardless of his motivation, the old Jacob is rearing his, his ugly head. At, at no point does he say something directly as, no, Esau, I must fulfill my vow to worship God in my country, as Genesis 28, 10 through 22 says. Again, he plays fast and loose with the truth to accomplish his purposes. Jacob depicts the, the two steps forward, one step back reality of our growth and holiness that is in sanctification. Unlike justification, God's once for all declaration that we are righteous in his sight, sanctification is a lifelong process of growing in our identity with Christ. Now, we will not conform perfectly to our Father's gracious verdict in this life. We are to work our, our salvation in fear and troubling, according to Philippians 2, 12-13, sometimes caving into sin, as we see in, in Colossians 3, 5. And yet, like Jacob, our former selves rise up as we pursue righteousness. That's why we're to put our sin to death and grow to be more like Christ every day. And yet Jacob also shows us the hope that we have in Christ by the Spirit for personal holiness. Isaac's younger son does get to his destination, as we see in Genesis 35. And so, too, will we one day arrive at ours, perfect holiness, when Jesus consummates all things. Our struggle to be sanctified can leave us discouraged, but we should not lose heart today. For the Lord will indeed make us holy. We will be like him totally when we're with the Lord in glory. And as long as we are by faith seeking to make use of the means of grace, we're going to progress in righteousness. And so in addition to hearing the preached word of God, to receiving the sacraments, the other means of grace, such as prayer, Christian fellowship, service, private worship, it'll help us to be conformed into the image of Christ. We're going to see Jacob arrive at his ordained destination in Genesis 35 as a metaphor for the security we have in knowing the Lord will grant us success in our journey of sanctification. 
And yet this patriarch of Israel first chose to reside in Shechem. As we're going to see, this is a this is a bad choice that's going to have tragic consequences. It was at Bethel that Jacob vowed that he would return to the land of his fathers and worship Yahweh after he had prospered. This is our first indication that God wanted Jacob to complete his vow at Bethel when he told Isaac's son to leave Laban's country in Genesis 31. Israel, that is Jacob, calls the Almighty the God of Bethel when he confers with his wives about the journey. If anything, this constitutes evidence Israel was aware that God wanted him to keep his oath at Bethel. And so this disaster that befalls Dinah in chapter 34, which we'll look at tomorrow, is another hint after the fact that Bethel was to be Jacob's proper name. Finally, the Lord's intent for Jacob is made clear in Genesis 35, 1-15. But this is probably the only direct confirmation of what Isaac's son knew to be the will of God. In fact, Jacob does not go all the way to Bethel, but as we're talking about, he stops on the way and settles in Shechem about a day's journey from his appointed destination, according to Genesis 33, 18-19. So Shechem's location in the promised land at the crossroads of trade makes it a convenient choice, helping Jacob to believe that he was making his home in a good place, according to verse 18. Moreover, Jacob gets along with its citizens, at least at first. He, he easily negotiates the purchase of land for a favorable place and even builds a residence, according to verse 19. And yet, the tragic interaction between Jacob's family and the Shechemites, it later shows Isaac's son made a mistake in going there, as we'll see tomorrow. And yet, his altar to El Elhoi Israel, or the God of Israel, in verse 20 of our text today, is a testimony to his loyalty and his service to the one true God. It is also no coincidence that this altar was erected where Abraham built his first altar in the promised land. Now, Jacob shows us, Matthew Henry writes, that where we have a tent, God must have an altar. And where we have a house, he must have a church in it. Jacob has many faults, but he is committed to serving the Lord. He, he does set up a place of worship as soon as he enters Canaan, thereby showing his commitment to make God the center of his home. It is also wise today to erect an altar of worship and prayer in our homes. If you have a family, be sure to set aside time for devotions with your spouse and children if you have them. Whether married or not, make time for private study and praise of the Lord. And make sure on the Lord's Day that you're attending a Bible-believing and Bible-practicing church so that you can hear the preached Word of God and you can partake of the sacraments and, and much more and fellowship with the people of God. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 2nd, and we've looked at Genesis 33. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.